It's a great joy to be with you this morning. Um, would you pray with me as we turn to the Lord's word together? Lord, indeed, we pray that you would do just what we sang, that you would draw the eyes of our heart upward to look and see you, Lord Jesus, Lord, seated at the right hand of the Father, <clears throat> our great treasure. Lord, would you, would you fill us afresh with a vision of your glory, a glory that will, that will set us free, that will give us, uh, Lord, longing to know you more deeply. Would you do that right now, even now by your spirit? Open our hearts to respond to you, to hear your voice, uh, and to follow without fear. Uh, for your great glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. One of the most um, ancient Christian documents that we have outside of the New Testament is a work called the Didache, which is a Greek word that just means the teaching of the apostles. And it begins with one of the great understatements of all time. It goes like this. There are two ways, one of life and one of death. And there's a great difference between these two. <laughs> Hear how Moses actually faced a choice between these two ways in these words from Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. What would you do if you had to choose between following Christ and protecting yourself? This is the choice that was at the heart of the 1986 movie, The Mission, which is based on a true story. In the South American country of Paraguay, two Spanish Jesuit priests, Father Gabriel and Father John, had helped set up a mission uh, among the native Guarani people where they had shared the gospel with them and helped this native church and community flourish. But when Spain and Portugal decided to divide the South American continent between them, the Catholic Church ordered the Spanish missions to move off of the land that was now claimed by Portugal. And so these priests faced a choice. Do they follow their orders and leave the Guarani people to be enslaved by the Portuguese colonists? Or instead, do they sacrifice their position and even their lives in order to be faithful pastors, to turn against the empire and the church leaders in order to defend and be mistreated with the Guarani church that they had been called to serve? What do they choose? They chose the latter. And in the climactic final scene, Father Gabriel walks out dressed in full priestly vestments, uh, leading an unarmed peaceful crowd of people from the Guarani church out to face the invading army where they are gunned down mercilessly by the Portuguese soldiers. Now, why would they choose a sacrifice like that? From the world's perspective, this makes no sense. In the world's perspective, they lost and the world mocks losers. But from God's perspective, they were the true winners. 
because they chose something far better than winning on the world's terms. They chose to sacrifice every gain in this world, even their very lives, in order to win something far greater, to follow Christ in the way of the cross because they saw Christ and his eternal life in him as the greatest treasure of all. Friends, our sacrifices reveal what we believe to be our greatest treasure. If we see Christ for the treasure that he truly is, we will sacrifice to follow him, for there is nothing more valuable than life with him. We see this truth clearly in what the book of Hebrews tells us about Moses. These verses in chapter 11 are God's sacred commentary on the story of Moses' departure from Egypt. Way back in the book of Genesis, we learn that Moses was a child born to the Hebrew people when they were enslaved in Egypt. Through the brave actions of his mother and sister, Moses' life is spared from Pharaoh's slaughter of the Hebrew baby boys by none other than Pharaoh's own daughter who adopted him as her son. So he lived in the royal household as a prince of Egypt. But when he'd grown up, one day he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave and he killed the Egyptian to defend the defenseless Hebrew. Now he tried to keep it secret, but when it became known to Pharaoh, Moses fled into the wilderness and lived with the people of Midian where he married and lived as a shepherd until he was 80 years old. So Moses sacrificed a lot. Think about the resources and the way of life that he had as an adopted grandson of Pharaoh living in the royal household. He had a position of authority. He enjoyed the wealth of an empire. He had access to the king because he's family to the king. He had a comfortable, secure life. And with all of that, imagine all that he imagined doing uh, in his life with all of those gifts. Surely, this must be God's will for him to be there. I mean, after all, God had miraculously raised Joseph from the shame and squalor of prison to become the second most powerful ruler in Egypt under the king. Surely God would want Moses to keep a tight grip on all of that wealth and position and power and influence to use for God's purposes right there, huh? It, surely Moses made a big mistake by sacrificing it all just to defend one Hebrew person? Surely the mission of God advances the most through access to political power and great wealth and great connections and a great name, right? But no. Moses sacrificed it all, even that he chose to be mistreated with the people of God, and God praises him for it. Specifically, God praises the loyalty and the vision of Moses' heart. Moses chose to identify himself and his future with the enslaved Hebrews and accepted whatever sacrifice was necessary in order to serve and support them. In Hebrews 11, God holds up this sacrifice for us as a model of faith. But why? Lord, wh why is this the way? Sometimes God does raise up people to the heights of leadership and power to be used in those places. But more often, much more often, God calls us to sacrifice the advantages and wealth that this world values for the sake of a treasure infinitely greater. Often God calls us 
to sacrifice much so that we can learn that it is not human might and human power that accomplish God's purposes, but God's might and God's power. He calls us to sacrifice much so that in our weakness, we will see his strength prevail and made perfect in us. He calls us to sacrifice much to bear witness to the world that the greatest treasure is not anything we can find in this world, but rather the one who made the world and who redeems the world and who gives eternal life to the world. What could possibly be more valuable? As the famous missionary Jim Elliott once said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And Moses was no fool. He was willing to sacrifice much because he saw God as the ultimate treasure, more valuable than anything in the world. Look at verse 26 to see Moses' heart. It says, Moses was looking to the reward. Verse 27, he endured by seeing him who is invisible. He sees that God, not Egypt, is the true treasure. He sees that the wealth of knowing God, even the sacrifice of bearing the reproach and shame of being an outcast for God's sake, is greater wealth than the treasure of an empire. It all comes down to seeing and embracing God for the treasure that he truly is. Friends, how can we live by faith like Moses in the way that God praises here? We must see Christ for the treasure that he is. And then, and only then, will we realize that it makes sense to sacrifice much to follow him, for nothing is more valuable than life with him. Now, while we can't see Christ physically with our eyes until he returns to us visibly, we can fix the eyes of our heart and mind and soul on the truth of who Jesus is and on the reality of his abiding presence in our midst by his spirit which he gives us to us as a gift of grace. We do this by looking to Christ as he offers his love and grace and strength and truth to us in his word, through the church, through his people, through the liturgy and our worship. And we need this focus. We need to look here every single day. Friends, much of the battle for our spiritual formation is the battle for our attention. We're always being formed by whatever we're paying the most attention to. If we're not continually looking to Christ, to seeing ourselves and everything else in the light of the treasure that he is, then the only thing that will fill our vision is a distorted view of ourselves and everything else. We become often like the Apostle Peter. When Jesus, you might remember the story that when Jesus came to his disciples in the boat in the middle of a storm walking on the water, he proves his reality to Peter by inviting Peter to walk on the water out to him. And the amazing thing is, Peter does it. <laughs> Good old Peter. Yeah, that is, he does it as long as he keeps his eyes fixed on Christ. But when he looks down, when he looks away from Christ to everything else, then what happens? He sinks. He sinks. He becomes afraid. When we look away, when we look away from Christ, then the way that we see everything else in reality gets distorted. It's then that we get afraid. It's then that sin irrationally starts to look sensible and attractive. So, brothers and sisters, find every way you possibly can 
to set the Lord before the eyes of your heart and mind and soul every day so that you can we can only live by faith if we are seeing Christ for the treasure that he is and keeping our attention fixed on him. I or any of our pastors would love to be able to talk more with you about some of the practices that can help you do this. So please let us know how we can help you kind of cultivate some of those habits. Living by Moses-like faith is not only about seeing, it's also about the sacrifices that God calls to make in light of that. And we need to feel the challenge of the sacrifice that God is calling us to consider in in this text by asking, how are we pressured and tempted like Moses to avoid sacrifice? What are the obstacles in our way to doing this? I want to suggest three ways today that we are tempted like Moses to avoid sacrifice. First is that like Moses, our world tempts us to treasure wealth more than Christ. Look at verse 26. This is clearly one of the issues. Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. And that's worth mentioning because, of course, as the prince of a wealthy empire, Moses would have enjoyed opportunities and access to great wealth and all the power and opportunities that that brings. But he sacrificed it all. When it, when it became an obstacle to pursuing God as his ultimate treasure and his purpose for Moses. Because what greater wealth could there be than life with the one who made all things, who is the eternal source of everything good and beautiful? Moses chose the greater wealth. Our culture connects our worth to our wealth and thus to our work. We see wealth offered to us as the answer that fixes everything that makes life happy. This is the story behind most of the advertisements that we're surrounded with every day. It's the story behind many of the social media uh, pictures and celebrities that we're drawn to from time to time. But if we see Christ as the ultimate treasure, then how might that shape us to resist that story and live differently uh, in this culture? Well, it might mean needing to find ways to say no to the almost inhuman sacrifice of time and energy and loyalty that we often give to work and to some types of jobs that just expect that we will give all that loyalty and time without thinking twice about it. It might mean having to take a hard look at our budgets and where we spend our money and ask why we're doing that. Do we really need that vacation, that car, that house, that newest phone, that barely does more than your current phone, those shoes to shop in that place, that fill in the blank, whatever your heart craves. Can you look at Christ as your ultimate treasure and tell him that this purchase is the best use of his money that he gave you to manage? Now that question is not an, uh, an easy formula that answers every question, but at least it gives us a filter to begin to examine ourselves, to ask, are we actually treasuring our wealth more than Christ himself? This is why the biblical practice of tithing 10% of our income to the ministry of the church is such a wise baseline practice for us. 10% is not a ceiling, of course, but it is a good goal for the baseline floor of our giving, precisely because it requires sacrifice of us. It requires planning. It it gives us a regular reminder that our wealth is God's and not ours. 
and that the ultimate purpose of our money is fulfilling whatever role God has for us in his overall mission in the world. But we can only do that if we see Christ for the treasure that he truly is. And only then can we be liberated from allowing our trust in money to control us. And only then can we learn to gladly and generously sacrifice our wealth for God's purposes. Second, like Moses, we're not only tempted by wealth, our world tempts us to treasure personal position more than Christ and his people. Moses had a powerful position and imagine, imagine all of the kinds of satisfying work that he could do because of it. But he sacrificed it all to pursue God as his ultimate treasure. Because what greater position could there be than serving the eternal kingdom of the king of kings himself? Moses chose the greater position. How might God be calling us to do something similar? He might call us to sacrifice our position in some way because we need to follow the values of God's kingdom in prioritizing relationships with people over the status of our position. I'm reminded of a, a great countercultural, Christ-honoring example of this kind of sacrifice in the life of a man named Robertson McQuilkin. He was the president of the Christian College, Columbia International University, and he resigned his position with about at least 10 good years of service left in order to keep his marriage vows, in order to provide personal round-the-clock care for his wife who had developed Alzheimer's. Because he saw Christ as his greatest treasure, he was able to sacrifice that position to care for his wife, and he did so gladly. And there's so many other countless inspiring examples of this Christ-honoring sacrifice among us. I think of the countless unsung women who have sacrificed jobs and careers and promotions, uh, exchanging full-time for part-time paid work or for no paid work at all, all to care for children or other family members or other friends or people in need. Um, friends, of them the world is not worthy, as Hebrews 11 says. And there are men and women who have labored hard, men and women who've labored hard with little notice to serve family and friends in declining health, people with chronic illnesses, physical and mental. Examples of this are all around us. God can actually do this in our lives. Now, maybe resisting the temptation to position might mean resisting the temptation to treasure our position over people. Um, and perhaps what we need to consider is not taking a new promotion or a new job that would require us to move away to another place because we value more highly the depth of friendships in the church, the kind of depth that can only come from long-term stability in one church and one community. I'm not saying that every decision to move away is the wrong one. That may, in fact, be where God is guiding. But we should be asking our question, ourselves about the costs of moving away for a position. Long-term friendships and a place in a church family should be a treasure that we value so highly that it's a serious factor in our decision about where to live and when to move. Rather than merely following the world's automatic assumption that moving away from more wealth or a higher position is always the best choice, no questions asked. Whether we stay or go, those decisions need to be not about the world's values about our position, but rather about serving the mission of God in the world with our gifts. 
These kinds of decisions are hard decisions. They're heroic kinds of Christ-like work that we as a church need to find ways to honor and support because much of our world does not honor these kinds of sacrificial choices. Much of our world does not make it easy to trade a more public role and more visible work to labor in unseen ways and in unseen places for the good of children or family members or friends or other people in need. But I want to encourage you today that what the world does not see and value, God sees and values. God praises the faith-filled choice to offer one's life to love and serve people in need. In God's view, that is a reward that is worth all the sacrifices. This is a noble act of faith, sustained only by fixing our eyes on Jesus and trusting his supreme worth and grace for us. And as a church, we need to ask the practical questions about how we can collectively sacrifice together to provide the support that enables men and women to make the hard, countercultural, God-honoring choice to sacrifice pursuing wealth and position in order to pursue and serve people in need. Finally, like Moses, our world tempts us to treasure the powerful more than the powerless. In Pharaoh's house, Moses was a powerful person among elite powerful people, but he sacrificed it all to become a powerless person serving powerless people because he saw God as his ultimate treasure. Because what greater power could there be than life with the one who made all things and who freely uses his power to bestow eternal life and blessing on people? How might God be calling us to do similar things? He might be calling us to find ways to set our power aside. I'm reminded of Queen Esther who was willing to sacrifice her position as queen and even her very life for the sake of defending her powerless people from destruction. I think of a man named John Croyle and his son Brody. John was an all-American football player at the University of Alabama in the mid-70s under the famous coach Bear Bryant. He had a sure NFL career ahead of him. Uh, and his son Brody actually achieved a position as a quarterback in the NFL for six years. But both father and son sacrificed NFL positions in order to build and serve a ranch in Alabama for hundreds of boys and girls who came from very hard situations and needed a fresh start in a supportive place. These men had powerful positions, influence and money, and they sacrificed it all to serve powerless boys and girls who desperately needed love and care. Friends, who are the people around you, the people around with less power than you, whom God might be calling you to sacrifice to serve? Maybe that's a friend who gets bullied at school. Maybe it's a young student or employee who needs opportunities and connections and mentoring. Maybe it's a woman with an unexpected pregnancy who has great financial and relational needs for support. Maybe it's churches in St. Louis who serve communities that continue to suffer the impact of the legacy of being robbed of power and opportunities in the history of our city. There's so many opportunities for us to use whatever power God has given us to serve him and to serve powerless people. Our world tells us to move away from the powerless and move up into the circles of power. But if we see Christ as our true treasure, then we will sacrifice to follow him in the opposite direction 
to share him and his blessings to serve people in need. Friends, our world often tells us that sacrificing wealth and position and power is losing. But when we see Christ for the treasure that he truly is, then we will sacrifice these things to follow him for nothing is more valuable than life with him. As one theologian has recently said, the problem isn't wanting to win, the problem is our unwillingness to lose. That is, the problem is the impossibility of imagining that certain forms of losing in this world might be preferable to certain forms of winning. The world says to us, you can be a winner, you can have the security and comfort of wealth and position and power only if you give up God's values and God's character and God's mission. Do things the world's way and you can win, but at what cost? As Jesus himself says, what will it profit you to win the whole world and to lose your soul? Friends, there are many worse things in the world than sacrificing advantages in this world. The greatest danger to us is not losing position or power in this world politically, financially, or in any other way. The greatest danger to us is faithlessness. Sacrificing trust in Christ and his ways and his mission to win on the world's terms in the world's way. But when we see Christ as the treasure he is, then we can find the strength and grace and vision to sacrifice whatever he calls us to give up for the sake of loving him and following him in the way of the cross because that is the way of true life. Would you pray with me? Lord, we, we pray that you will lift our eyes again and again and again to see your glory, to see your beauty, to be captivated again by the wonder of your beautiful and amazing and wonderful power and grace and love. Lord, would you help us live out of that vision? Would we fix our eyes on Christ where our, our lives are hidden with him? Lord, that we might be set free to give up whatever you call us to give up for the sake of knowing you and walking with you and living the great adventure of what it means to serve your kingdom, which will have no end. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.